0: There we go. Last week was a long sermon. I figured I'll do a short one this week. It didn't turn out that way. (laughs) Just couldn't develop the thought in like a couple words. I don't know. I got to get this Reader's Digest thing going. I don't know. (laughs) All right, here we go. Let's see how we do. There's no doubt that we live in troubling times. We are all witnesses to the political and religious turmoil across the globe. But St. Paul tells us in Philippians 2.15, even in the midst of crooked and a perverse nation, we should be shining as the lights in the world. But is the church lights shining right now? Are we Orthodox Christians, a light that dispels darkness and guides others to the truth? Are we making a positive witness and difference for Christ? Our church has always been a beacon of light and hope to all people. Our light reflects Christ. And this holy illumination draws people to our universal faith, where we experience not only the communion of the body and blood of Christ, but communion of belief, of purpose, and mission. You see, the light of Christ resides in us individually and collectively, and it's not something abstract but as an active ministry that reaches out to others through its witness and aid. The church's light is fueled by the good works of our congregations and parishes that knows God's word and acts upon it. People come to our faith because it offers something valuable and worthwhile. It's Christ's bride, the bride of Christ. The church is a place where unconditional love binds us together binds our people, and this light is spread by reflecting Christ's light to all its people. Unfortunately, over time, something happened, and the church's light of Christ perhaps is not as bright. Christians all over the world stopped letting their light shine as brightly as before. People stopped loving like they used to love. People stopped depending on one another as they used to depend on one another. People stopped caring about, checking on, and helping brothers and sisters in communities. In some cases, some of our churches are nothing more than social clubs because they start keeping to themselves and looking only after their own members. Our church, in some instances, even stopped going out to the world spreading the gospel and bringing good works to every needing soul. We can see this dimming of the church's light by the church's decline in numbers of Christians across the world. Smaller congregations, the lack of the world's belief in God, and the moral decline of our earth. Yet our church and our faith is not something that is defeated. We are not knocked out. We are not without hope. In order to bring our church back to its ancient glory and reach God's people, it must refocus. Return to its basic mission and start reflecting the light of Christ. We need to emulate the apostolic church of our forefathers. Our Lord's words today in his gospel are very clear. And he calls us the light of the world. Collectively, we succeed as a parish. We succeed as a faith and a church church. When we seriously take on this responsibility and vocation to serve God and illuminate everyone. As our Lord said, we are to let his light shine in us before all people so that others can see our good works and give glory to God. Yet the question is asked, how do I personally become the light of God to the world How are we to illuminate others when we struggle ourselves? Today I'll speak on this subject and discuss how we can become the light of the world. And I'm going to use the word light as an acronym, so we can kind of follow along with the letters here. So the L in light stands for learn. We are the light of the world when we learn about our faith. Martin Luther once said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing, is worth nothing. My friends, our faith and is an investment to a better, fuller life. Like other investments, our faith takes work. It takes commitment so that it can grow, mature and prosper. Yet in order for our faith to grow, we need to learn and be nourished in God's word, for a light, before we can be a light in the world to others. It's no accident that our Lord spent three years teaching the disciples before they were sent out into the world, learning about our faith through Bible study, studying the church fathers and holy tradition, learning under a priest or a spiritual father gives us background. It gives us knowledge, a knowledge base to witness our faith to other people. Proverbs one five says this, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let The discerning get guidance. St. Paul moreover, in his letter to Titus, encourages the congregation to learn what is good and train others on how to walk in the truth of the gospel. Proper instruction is integral to our faith because it unifies believers around a common belief. It combats against false teaching and heresy and keeps Holy Scripture central to our lives. Through this learning, we are able to grow in our love towards God and to his people. To be God's light in the world, we therefore need to learn about our faith. The I stands for invite. We are the light of the world when we invite other people to come to the light and know Christ. In 1980, a Gallup poll indicated that out of all the evangelical, uh, evangelical American believers, only 2% had introduced another person to Christ. Well, this statistic is for evangelical Protestants, I'm sure it's far less for Orthodox Christians. And it's contrary to what our Lord is asking us to do today. If you look back to the passage, we see that our Lord wants us to be the light of the world so that we can attract others to the faith so that they too can share this light. Part of being the light of the world means that we share the gospel message and invite others. When you look at the Lord's ministry on earth, Christ met unbelievers where they were. He realized that many Christians today still don't seem to understand. Cultivators have to get out in the field. We cannot be the light of the world if nobody sees us. Or as the passage states, put the lamp under of our faith under a bushel. Being the light of the world is a contact sport and is outward focused. According to one count, the gospel records 132 contacts that Jesus had with people. Six were in the temple, four in the synagogues, and 122 were people out in the mainstream of life. The light of the world people are out and about. They're looking to engage the lost and are searching for, for souls that want a better life. And only this can be accomplished through the acceptance of the gospel message. Yet also keep in mind that part of our witness or invitation, according to the passage, is by living in such a way that the light of the Holy Spirit radiates from us and that it is noticed by others. Our actions, our conduct, our care for others are a far greater witness than the light of our own words. According to the book on the life of St. Francis Assisi, Francis once invited a young monk to join him on a trip to preach. Honored by being given the invitation, the monk readily accepted. All day long, he and Francis walked through the streets, the byways, the alleys, and even into the suburbs. They rubbed shoulders with hundreds of people. The days ended, two headed back home. Not even once had Francis addressed a crowd nor had he talked about anyone in the gospel. Greatly disappointed, his young companion said, I thought we were going into town to preach. Francis responded, my son, we have preached. We were preaching while we were walking. We were seen by many, and our behavior was closely watched. It is of no use to walk anywhere to preach unless we preach everywhere as we walk. People who are the light of the world, my friends, invite others to Christ to their Christian witness and, most important, their actions that emulate our Lord. The G in light means give. We are the light of the world when we give to others. Taking care of one another's needs is a fundamental building block of our faith. Today's passage tells us that we radiate Christ's light when people see our good works. Christian giving means that we give of our time, our treasury, and our talent, so that God may take our humble gifts and multiply them to all people. Mother Teresa visited Australia, and a new recruit to the Franciscan Order in, in Australia was assigned to be her guide and her gopher during her stay. Thrilled and excited at the prospect of being so close to this woman he dreamed of how much he had loved to learn from her and what they would talk about. But during her business visit he became very frustrated. Although he was constantly near her, the friar never had an opportunity to say one word to Mother Teresa. There were always other people for her to meet. Finally the tour was over and she was due to fly to New Guinea. In desperation the friar spoke to Mother Teresa. I pay my own fare to New Guinea. Can I sit next to you on the plane so that I can talk to you and learn from you? Mother Teresa looked at him. You have enough money to pay for an airfare to New Guinea? She asked. Oh, yes, he replied eagerly. Then take that money and give it to the poor, she said. You'll learn far more from that than anything I can tell you. At the close of this life, my friends, the question will not be, how much have you gotten, but how much have you given? Not how much have you won, but how much have you done? Not how much have you saved, but how much have you sacrificed? It will not be how much you've loved and served, not how much you are honored. Our Lord, my friends, is the perfect example of a true giver. In Mark 10, 43-45, we read, Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be the servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. Our Lord healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, comforted the downtrodden, fed the hungry, healed the crippled, cleansed the lepers, and came as a servant of all. Our Lord gave, and gave generously. Proverbs 11, 24 through 26. It is possible to give away and become richer. It is also possible to hold on too tightly and to lose everything. Yes, the liberal man shall be rich. By watering others, he waters himself. People curse the man who holds his grain for higher prices, but they bless the man who sells it to them in their time of need. The proverb tells us that our giving is to help those in need. And we're accursed if we give, but we exploit someone we give it to. Giving, according to the proverb, also makes us rich in God's eyes. And by helping others, we are really helping ourselves. George Muller once said, God judges what we give by what we keep. In other words, are we being stingy with God? Are we only giving God and others our excess? Or do we actively contribute a certain percentage of our time, talent, and treasury? Is our giving conscious? St. Augustine said, where your pleasure is, there is your treasure. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. Where your heart is, there is your happiness. So giving, in essence, he can equate with happiness. if That's our treasure and what's important. My friends, we are the light of the world when we are generous givers of ourselves. Not only does giving bring God's favor, but we are blessed with happiness and heavenly wealth. Now we're down to H. H stands for humility. We are the light of the world when we are humble people. Humility is one of the greatest virtues around. It isn't thinking meanly, uh, meanly uh, of oneself. It, is thinking, it isn't thinking of the self of all. A truly humble man really doesn't know they are humble. We cannot become the light of the world unless we are humble before God, because our personal pride nullifies or cancels out God's light within us. In order to let God's light radiate from us, we need to yield ourselves to serving him and accept his direction for our lives. Humility actually means being of low state and seeing others higher than ourselves. The Greek word tapino literally means to level a mountain or a hill. Humble people have no mountains or hills sticking up. They're not filled with hot the hot air of pride or arrogance. Instead, they make themselves available. They lower themselves to God so that our Lord can use them in every situation. They are willing to do what our Lord tells them without second-guessing, because they trust God. Humility, my friends, is the essence of holiness, because it displaces the self with the enthronement of God in our lives. I used to think that God's gifts were sort of on shelves, stacked above one another. That the taller we grew in the Christian faith, it was easier to reach. And I now find that God's gifts are really on shelves beneath one another. That it's not a question of growing taller in the faith, but of stooping lower. And that we have to go down, always down, to get the best gifts. God's best gifts are given to us in direct proportion that we submit our lives to him. In other words, Humble people receive God's grace and blessing. Humility, it's not a negative quality as our world sees it, but rather is nothing more than having a realistic evaluation of our condition. Humility is being weak and pitiful and knowing it. Pride is being weak and pitiful and believing otherwise. True humility, it's not an an object, object groveling, self-despising spirit. It is rather a right estimate of ourselves as God sees it. We therefore can only be God's light in the world when we think less of ourselves and place more trust in God's direction for our lives. Humility enables God's light to flow through us to the world while our pride filters and blocks it. Humility and enables God's light to flow through. So, T, finally we get to the end of light. <laughs> we are the light of the world. It stands for training. We are the light of the world when we train constantly to be better Christians. Perfecting our faith is not something that is instantaneous, but it's a process. It's more of a marathon than a sprint. And St. Paul makes the analogy in 1 Corinthians nine twenty-five through 6 that our faith is an athletic event We are in a constant state of training to win, and he argues that while everyone runs the race, only the winner receives the first place wreath. Likewise, when we train in our faith, we should train to win the crowns of glory rather than just being a participant. Championship athletes are involved in the strictest training. regimens, and all aspects of their life are carefully mapped out. Not only, not only must they spend time on the practice field, but must commit time to weight rooms, improving their technique, studying the opposition, managing their diets, getting enough inadequate sleep. Christian training is equally encompassing if we want to receive our heavenly crowns and win. You see, Christian training is something that must be so ingrained in our lifestyle that is second nature and becomes a part of our daily regimen. Here are a few spiritual exercises that can help us train. Daily Bible readings. Um, I personally recommend the Tyndale one-year Bible. Every single day of the year is there. Seven-minute investment. Go through the whole Bible one year. Piece of cake. Daily prayer regimen, at least in the morning and the night. Attending weekly Sunday services. Taking of communion. uh, Confession on a regular basis. Good works projects. Organized or just helping someone on the street that needs something meetings with your spiritual father, reading spiritual material, including the church fathers, attending community service, community worship services during the weeks, and other good works. There's a lot of them out there. The reason why spiritual training is really so important is that we need to constantly rejuvenate God's light within us and with this spiritual nourishment. Spiritual training enables us to reflect God's light within us and what I would call greater brilliance. So the mo- most common measurement of light output is lumens. Everybody think it's watts. It's not. Watts is actually um, a measure of power. But lumens actually is the, the brilliance of light. So as lamps and fixtures age, they become dirty. Their lumen output decreases. Likewise, when our lives become cluttered with sin, or we become distracted from God, or we don't rejuvenate and train, our spiritual lights lose their luster. As we can expect, some Christians are more luminous than others because they've taken this spiritual training seriously. But I don't think our faith is one where it's a real contest or who's the brightest Christian. It's just that we must each train hard to our ability, must progress in our faith to be effective lights in the world. See, among the ancient Greeks, the runner that won the race was not the man who crossed the finish line first, but the man who crossed it in the least time with his torch still burning. Many of us are so busy with our day's activities that we are in danger of allowing this torch of spiritual life become extinguished. Therefore, my friends, let us first seek to keep the spark of the Holy Spirit aflame within us so that we can run the rays set before us. Second, like the runners in ancient Greece, let us always remember that we cannot receive our crowns of victory without nourishing the flame through intense training. We can only be the light of the world when we train consistently to receive our heavenly crowns. As I close, I want to remind everyone that we are the light of the world. We are lights when we learn about our faith, invite others, people to come to know Christ, when we give to others, our humble people, and train constantly to be better christians amen okay stop all right that's good uh, anyway, they don't